Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Tiptoe Through the Tulips with your hosts, Aaron Cunningham, Matthias Crook, and Travis Wright. This week, we are still in Chapter 11. We're going to be taking a look at Sections 5 through 7 as Calvin is continuing to discuss the images uh, that are associated with worship. So let's go ahead and dive right in here, fellows, with Section 5. What were our thoughts? Why do we always have to be diving in or jumping in or kicking it off or fielding questions? Why can't we just like lax into it? I mean, that's that's a good point. This is a podcast called Tiptoeing to the Tulips, and I feel like you're kind of being more aggressive than we, we intended. Oh, well, um, let's saunter into our first subject here in Section 5 then. Uh, if one of you would feel so motivated to potentially get around to discussing some of the finer points of what was addressed in section five uh, move casually at your own pace now nah, i'm good <laughs> uh well I, I, let's start off with a question so he says uh the very first sentence uh he goes i am not ignorant indeed of the assertion which is now more than threadbare that images are the books of the unlearned. Um, and then he kind of takes the next three uh, sections, five, six, and seven, and um, kind of expands on on that assertion. Um, so let's. I want to. I want to punt it over to you guys. Did you agree with? Do you agree with that assertion, or do you agree with Calvin's overall theme that it's a bad assertion? That images are the books of the unlearned. Yes. I mean, I think there's definitely some truth in that. I would say, uh, I would, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, go ahead. <laughs> okay, cool. You, I, will, I will go ahead. Uh, I'm always worried about stepping on toes, tiptoes. Um, so there's definitely truth in that. Um, it, I mean, uh, it almost, I don't want to say images are the poor man's books and that um, if people are looking to um, kind of these symbols and kind of these um, these images and looking for knowledge. I mean, they're not really going to find anything. You can only really do it by delving into the text. Right. Oh, but I do say picture books are still, those are, those are pure. So, but I mean, can't pictures, can't they give us a better understanding of what we're reading or what we're learning? Well, I think one thing that came to mind for me when I was, you know, grappling with this concept was the idea of a picture's worth a thousand words. And so I think there's definitely a level of truth in that images can convey truth. Um, they have the potential to convey truth just like words do. They also have the potential to misconvey truth just like words do. And so I think they certainly have their place and can serve as an aid. Um, and I think that this is an important objection that Calvin does need to address, especially in his time and culture where the majority of people were illiterate and the best way to communicate an idea or a concept was through visual depictions of art and not through the written word. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I think that he I think he does a good job of kind of breaking down his point in it because I mean we have to remember that the context that we're talking about I don't think is pictures in general um but more it's it's pictures or images you know created to um explain or to show the image of God um 
And so he kind of goes back in section five a little bit where he says, uh, everything respecting God, which is learned from images is futile and false. And so he's, he's basically, he's still following on the same theme that no matter what we create, God is not that. And so we, we don't know what he looks like. And so any type of image that we might come up and like try to create at best is false. Um, at worst is, you know, a blatant lie. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think, I think you guys kind of nailed it. And I think that I, I agree with them. I think that there's definitely a, a point to using images, but I think that when there's a, I, from what I can see, a clear command not to use an image to uh, explain or to show God, I think that we don't have that justification. But uh, real quick, do you agree though, that in that thing you highlighted, the, um, that everything respecting God, which is learned from images, is futile or false. Uh, yeah, yeah, I do because, well, if you you have to look at the the words futile and false, um, you, if you want to try to make an image of God, or if you want to try to create, um, some kind of you know figurine that encapsulates what God looks like, no matter what you create. No matter what, it's going to be, it's a futile endeavor because you're never going to hit on it um, at all. Um, and it's got to be false no matter what, because God is not what we can imagine. Um, so, yeah, I think that I agree with that sentence. So, see, and that's interesting because I honed in on uh, narrowing the context of, you know, everything respecting God and God was the word I focused in on. So he's speaking specifically here to depictions of God, the father. He's right. not talking about, we can't learn any attributes about God. He's not talking about that. We can't learn any, uh, stories or events that God was behind. He's specifically talking about creating an image of God, the father here. So one quick question, though. I mean, if I were to say to Matthias right now, could you in words describe God perfectly to me? What would you say? No. Well, but that's my point is why then is it seen as an issue where, <clears throat> pardon me, why is it seen as an issue that we can describe God with our words, but giving an image of him through uh, a depiction would be considered incorrect? Would you like a facetious answer? No, I don't believe in... I'm not a Pisces. I don't believe in uh, <laughs> astrology. Well, I'll, I'll give you a sardonic one instead. Uh, the second commandment is why it's not okay to attempt it through images, but we are permitted to attempt it through words. Uh, that's my short answer to that. Um, but beyond that, I would say that, again, I think there's a greater risk because an image is something that is complete like you a finished image of something is is supposed to encapsulate the essence and the entity of what it is whereas words can always be added to and intended to be built upon no one's going to hear uh, matthias's description of god and say that's an entire you know holistic depiction description verbal description of who god is and that's all there is to it whereas with heuristics if we look at a picture of the image of god our temptation and our brain's uh, natural programming is to say that is in and of itself the image of god and so i think there's a lot more temptation for us to uh, try to make that 
uh, a limiting reality with visual images than it is with the auditory or the written word. And I think on top of that, um, we have to remember that the last, like there were, there were a few chapters where Calvin described the word of God. And we have to kind of accept that it is the word of God and that there's no authority outside of God um, that gives the word its authority. Um, so when we attempt to describe who God is, we are still confined to what we know of him that he's revealed to us through scripture. I, but like what Aaron was saying, I could describe God like the psalmist does and say that he's got eyes that are ever roaming. Or I could describe him the way that Isaiah does and say that he's got hands that are big enough to hold all of the oceans. Um, and nobody's going to think that's a complete view or that it's even anything other than like metaphorical or um, allegorical. Um, so I think that there's definitely a difference between drawing God and trying to make him look full, like Aaron was saying, or uh, on the flip side of that, using scripture to explain God the way that he has explained himself to us so that we can understand him. Okay. Um, I'm going to skip just a couple. Actually, he's not really skipping at all. Um, to the point where he says, um, uh, I admit it to be so, but uh, I add um, that the prophets utterly condemn what the papists hold to be undoubtable. Um, axiom? Is that how you say that? A-X-I-O-M? Axiom? Axiom. axiom. All good. You know, it's not like I need that in my life. Um, viz, that images are substitutes for books. And I highlighted that because I thought it was interesting. Um, but what do you guys think he's getting at right there with the, that images are substitute for books? Well, you, why do, I, I want to know what you think first. Because I, I didn't have any thoughts on this, and I'd like to hear what you thought. Well, actually, I think it ties in really well with what Aaron said, and I really appreciated what he said about... <clears throat> That with an image, there's kind of a distinctive whole port like look to it, and that um, there are certain elements to which it's basically when you look at an image, it can be represented only so many ways. But with books, and you read them, I mean, I, I shouldn't say that. That's I don't know. This is why you don't throw the question back in my face. <laughs> well, I wanna I wanna talk about the second sentence because I feel like that ties into it. Um, right after that, it says that basically he's saying that the prophets um, will contrast images with the true God as if the two were opposite of nature and could never be made to agree. Um, so when he says that the prophets are condemning the papists by using images as substitutes for books, he's basically saying the prophets have condemned them because the prophets all the way through will tell us over and over that God is opposed to idols. God is opposed to carved images. God is opposed to all of these things. So turning around and saying, well, okay, but I'm going to use them anyway to, you know, to help God or to, to help explain God. Um, that's a condemnation on them, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it kind of goes to their lack of faith that God can make himself known in the world and make himself known to his people. Um, anytime that we're trying to do something uh, on God's behalf, unless we are explicitly commanded by Scripture to do it on God's behalf, I think we are running the risk of demonstrating a lack of faith in God's ability or his character. And that's and he says that later on, too. I'm trying to find that now because I think it's such a good point. Um, but basically he's saying if... Uh, 
oh man, where is it? It's so good. Basically, he says, if, uh, oh, here it is. The simple reason why those who had the charge of the churches resigned the office of teaching to idols was because they themselves were dumb. Um, and I think that that's kind of, that, that goes to what you're saying, because if you can't, if you can't do it the way God has prescribed it, then you probably aren't fit to do it. Um, is that, I mean, I guess, I guess that's kind of what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of what I'm saying. And then the other part of it is, um, I just, I think it communicates a, a lack of faith in, in God to do it for himself. Um, it's kind of almost out of a place of pride that, you know, well, God's not going to do it. So I guess I'll just take it on myself to do it on his behalf because, you know, I, I want to be a good advocate for him. And it always comes from a place of good intentions and wanting to defend God's character. But the irony is when we do that, we usually are demonstrating our lack of faith in God to, um, defend his own character and follow through on his promises. Yeah, that's part of it. And I, th I think that's definitely part of it. Um, but I also think that there's, there's something to it that said, um, that would point out that if you're resorting to using images, um, of this kind, then you probably don't know scripture well enough to teach it anyway, or to, to maintain or pretend that you do. Um, because it seems so clear to not use those images. Sure, yeah, you you don't have an axiomatic understanding of the Ten Commandments if you think that you should be making image depictions of God the Father. I agree. So my question then for you guys is, what about, um, what about allegories? You know, C.S. Lewis used uh, Aslan as a way to depict Christ, right? He was a type of Christ. Um, there's, always, there's also, uh, oh, what's his name? Frank. The guy that wrote the shack, he he drew God as a as a of the as a black female. Um, are these in themselves what Calvin is talking about? I hadn't really thought about it. I'm gonna pass this over to Aaron. Sure. Um, yeah. No, I don't think so. Uh, now that said, I'm not commenting on the quality of either of those works. Um, although I would love to at some other juncture. Um, but I think that, that we need to be careful because when we're describing something in allegory, it's clearly understood to be done um, in a way that is to emulate but not perfectly represent something else, right? So whereas, again, as I mentioned earlier, an image, like an actual artistic image, is something that purports itself to be the whole and authentic, uh, something that is written in an allegorical manner where it's clear that it's not to be taken literally. I mean, the Chronicles of Narnia, you know, it's set up in a, a fictional fantasy world. Um, you know, children are traveling through wardrobes. People enjoy Turkish delight. I mean, it's clearly fiction, right? Oh, that is, ooh, get out of here. I love so, so we understand delight. that... Wait, you guys have had Turkish delight? What'd you say? You guys have actually tried Turkish Delight? Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, see, I don't um, even know what it is. I, I've read about it, but I have no it, idea what it is. It is kind of like a... How do I describe it? Like a more solid, like, kind of jelly candy with a little almond in the middle, usually, and it's coated with uh, sugar on top, a little uh, uh, powdered sugar, and it's delightful. Uh, Aaron, you cultured swine. It's uh, pretty mediocre. At Wait, any can rate... I, can I, like, run to the... Sorry closest walmart and get one nah man you gotta you gotta get it from 
the greatest of all bakists. Uh, yeah, I had someone make some for me, so I don't know what Travis is talking about. Anyway, I don't know what you're talking about either. <laughs> but uh, but the shack, um, I mean, that's a little bit different, and I think a, a little more dangerous. And admittedly, I've not read the shack, but what I understand from it is that he is meaning to uh, depict the actual entities of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which makes me a lot more nervous. Whereas, you know, Lewis put it in the form of a, a lion, um, you know, so clearly he's not trying to capture the image of God because, I mean, God is referred to as a roaring lion. Well, actually, the Satan's referred to as a roaring lion, so that's interesting. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I think I'm doing a really, really bad job of answering your question with us. It really will depend on if they're intending it to be an allegory or if they're intending it to be kind of a um, rhetorical mechanism for actually depicting the image of God. Uh, I think if it's clear that they're meaning for it to be a guideline to help you see attributes, then it's helpful and it's good. But if it's intended to be this is what God actually looks like and, uh, you know, this is basically just my verbal description of his physical appearance, then I'm a little concerned because that's purporting to actually describe the image of God. So if someone were to draw, and I, I don't remember if we touched on this or not, if someone were to draw a painting and um, with light shining through the heaven and saying, oh yeah, that's God, is that, is that uh, sinful in nature? I don't, I mean, we're not this, gets into, this gets into the interpretation of art, right? So, like, I mean, if the artist is definitively saying that this is a visual depiction of God, um, you know, in these crepuscular rays shining down, then I think that's a little problematic because it limits God to being nothing more than, you know, a source of light. Mm. Um, but to say this is the beauty of God or this is, you know, um, you know, the majesty of God displayed in this form, then I think that's fine. Uh, but again, you know, I personally wouldn't have an issue with that particular painting uh, unless it like titled itself the image of God, because then mm -hmm. it's like, well, that's not the image of God. Well, so like, let's say, let's say we have like a Renaissance style painter paint, like kind of like how on the Sistine Chapel, like we talked about before, the, the God image of him reaching out towards man. And the title of the painting is obviously we don't know what God looks like, but this is a representation. Like that is literally the disclaimer title that they say. Is that still, is that still, um, sinful or idolatrous? As an attorney, I'm much more comfortable with it because you know it did the cya thing um <laughs> i mean honestly personally i wouldn't have a problem with that because if people knew that that was the title of that uh and they understood that that was not to be their finite understanding of the image of god um then i'm more comfortable because i think people are less prone to worship that image if they know that the artist knows that he doesn't know what God looks like. I so, Matthias, what are your thoughts? Well, yeah, I don't know. 
in in section six, he quotes the the Libertine Council, the thirty sixth canon, which says, "There must be no pictures used in churches. Let nothing which is adored or worshipped be painted on walls." Um, and I think in that sense, maybe it could be possibly if if you're going off of that strict guideline, which Calvin it seems like Calvin uh, um, affirms that. And he says later he quotes Augustine and uh, Travis, you highlighted this uh, where Cal or over Augustine was quoting someone else where it said, "Those who first introduced images of the gods both took away fear and brought in error." Um, so I I think that. If I don't know, as an as your attorney, I would advise you not to. Um, <laughs> I, I I I would always want to err on the side of caution, um, especially after reading what we read last week. Um, I think which was in uh, was Ezekiel, um, where it said, basically the prophet was saying, "I'm warning you, don't do it. You don't know what he looks like, so don't even try." Um, I think in that case, if if you were drawing a man reaching out to another man, like on the Sistine Chapel and saying, this is a depiction of God, then yeah, I would say probably I wouldn't, I don't know that I'd be okay with that. Even if you titled it, this is just a mere depiction. It's not meant to blah, 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 blah. Um, I feel like I'd be much more okay with light shining from heaven. Um, because that I don't think can be misinterpreted by most, um, to be a full representation of God. I don't think anybody's going to look at a ray of light. Like I'm thinking of um, the painting by, I don't know, I, I want to say Michelangelo, but I could be way off, of Augustine receiving the word of God. And it shows a ray of light coming down and Augustine is holding uh, his heart and it's, his heart is aflame. Um, I'd be okay with that because no one's going to look at that and go, that ray of light, that is God. Well, that, is a, that is a full dis a description uh, and depiction of who God is. To, to interrupt real quick though, but I mean, you said no one is gonna, no one is going to interpret I said that most. as. I said no. Most. You said you said no one. You said no. no he one. said he caveated. He had a caveat in there. I, oh, did he caveat? I'm in law school. I know. I know how to caveat. Yeah, he couched his language, bro, <laughs> like a good, like a good three O would. Like a good neighbor, Matthias was there. Anyway, um, but but I mean, okay, that's my question though. Is though when you say you still uh, say most though. And so, I mean, if someone still misinterprets it, whose problem or whose fault is it that that person misinterpreted that? Something which we can obviously say, we would obviously say, yes, that's not a clear interpret, or that's not a, a distinct, defined image of God, and nor do I believe the artist was going for that, but the other person still, f like, stumbled because of that. Is that their fault, or is that the person who drew the painting's fault well and i think that's why matthias admonished you not to do it because it opens up the potential for some you know moron to come along and look at it and misinterpret it and think that that is you know exactly who god is and to be honest i mean in very explicit terms i don't think there are probably a lot of people who consciously look at like the depiction in the sistine chapel and say oh yeah that's exactly what god looks like i really don't but it does open up the opportunity for some people who aren't thinking critically to assume that um i'm gonna have so to disagree with you real quick because if you look from from that drawing until now when when you are looking at popular culture and somebody decides that they're going to draw God, 
they normally will draw him as a a white man with a white beard, maybe even balding on top to kind of show age and wisdom, which is exactly how he was depicted in the Sistine Chapel, right? Well, I'm not sure that's actually true. Like, ever since Evan Almighty and Bruce Almighty movies, I think the majority of the time in pop culture he's depicted as Morgan Freeman. But Sure, but if you look at, like, The Simpsons, they've been doing this for 30 years, and every single time they draw God uh, or, the, or Family Guy, um, with two horrible, horrible examples, please forgive me. Um, but those are just the two things that I can think of at the top of my head that I know that I've seen depictions of God. They they resemble the the God in the Sistine Chapel. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that those people think that that's what he actually would look like. They're just doing that because people would recognize that as what most people. Oh, I see what you're saying here. What a uh, lot of people. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I. Just because people tend to visualize him in that way, I don't think dispositively means that they actually think that's what he would look like. But going back to my initial point, that's why I think we should be hesitant to do it because then it just encourages people to misinterpret that. Real quick, I'd like to shift gears because you highlighted one of the things that I highlighted. It's a well, double I wanted to ask a across. question, and so I'm <sighs> going to ask a question before you shift <laughs> gears. Um, what about movies? Uh, what if you are telling a, you know, like creating a Bible-based movie that actually stays true to the Scriptures, and God the Father is a part of that storyline, how do you navigate that as a Christian? Are you allowed to cast someone in the role of God? Man, that's such a good question. Um, uh, it kind of caught me off guard. So I, I, when I, when I think of what the scriptures, how the scriptures define and describe God and all of His, um, every time He He interacts with humans, I think that it's very clear that he never reveals himself fully. So I think that in certain cases, like when he appears as a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. Yeah. I think that's fine. Um, I think that when it describes Moses as seeing the train of his robe, uh, as he walked past, I think you could show a train of a robe. Same with Isaiah. Um, I think that when Isaiah describes God as holding the earth or the waters of the earth, I think you'd be okay with putting that, like showing, having an image of a hand. Um, because of the context of the, of the, the movie, um, as long as you're not taking any liberties, uh, and as long as you're not attempting to um, say what Scripture doesn't, or even infer or imply what Scripture doesn't, I think, I think that would be okay. But I, I don't know. I really don't. Yeah, and I'd just like to say, I'd like to shift gears uh, to what Matthias highlighted uh, earlier because um, you just snuck in your question. No, I, I would agree with what Matthias was saying. I think if it's accurate to the Bible and if it's accurate to not show anything more than what the Bible would show, then I think it would fall under the guidelines of which you guys were talking about. Or just CGI, man. I mean, that's the easy answer. Then you're not having a single person. <laughs> you're not having a single person. And I'm not saying you still reveal. I'm just saying in those parts where there's like either a silhouette or like the face is not visible anyway. But no, I want to get to my point. My point is it's a little different topic. Uh, that quote that Matthias quoted me that I quoted me 
Michael Gary Scott, um, those who would uh, introduce images of gods both took away fear and brought it and brought in error. Well, my question is, um, I, I wrote, I do find this interesting. Uh, they say we fear what we do not know. Um, but in my personal life, I've grown to fear, and it's like the fear-respect form of it, I've grown to fear-respect God more from getting to know him. And I was just wondering what you guys thought about that quote and kind of um, whether or not you agree with that or whether you find you've actually grown more when you learn, you grow more to fear him and respect him the more you've known him. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that I have grown to respect and, and fear God the more I've known his character. What is being driven at with this quote of those who were first introduced to images of the gods, both took away fear and brought in error, that's uh, basically addressing the gods of the gaps, right? So we're talking about Egyptian and pagan gods that, well, Egyptian gods are pagan gods. Uh, but, I mean, it's important to note he's referring to the lowercase g, he's referring in the plural, um, and basically these are like the gods of thunder and the gods of, you know, the sea and all these uh, natural occurring phenomena that were problematic to people in those early cultures and they were afraid of the weather and they were afraid of you know famine and crops failing and stuff like that and so in order to help them cope they created these little gods and gave them an image because when you have an image uh, it's easy to feel as though you have control over it because it's easier for you to understand it and manipulate it and to um, exercise dominion over it. Whereas, if you don't have a concrete image of something, there's always going to be that healthy level of the unknown where it's greater than you and you are subservient to it. And, um, and so I think that Yes, although the more I understand the attributes of God, the more I come to a reverential fear of him, I think that it's also important to recognize that that fear isn't brought about from, um, you know, my not understanding him. It's brought about from the fact that I do understand him and that I have good cause to be afraid of him. I really feel like I'm rambling and not addressing your question very well, so I'm just going to stop talking now. It's okay. I lost focus halfway through. No, that's fine. I, I, I agree with you. I think that the more that I grow to know God, the more I do fear and respect him, I hope. Um, but I think that what he's saying here, the quote that he's using here, is he's saying um, basically by bringing in images... Uh, well, actually, he says uh, downward, down a little bit towards the end of section six, he says, Afterwards, he, being Augustine, explains how the fear of God was thereby extinguished or impaired, his presence being brought into contempt by foolish and childish and absurd representations. Um, and so I think that we are less likely to revere and respect God if he is something along the lines of you know, like an Egyptian God, where it is a, a man with the, the head of a sparrow, um, or if it is, uh, like Zeus where it's, it's a, it's a man who's just really built. Um, 
that by by con- conceptualizing him in that sense, we we tend to fear and respect him less because he's more like us. Um, and so I would say that because God in his in his fullness and in the Trinity, because he is unable to be um, depicted by anything we can imagine, um, there's much more respect and much more fear that comes from that. Yes, that's exactly what I was trying to say and failing miserably at. The fact that we can anthropomorphize something and make it like us makes us fear it less and feel like we can control it more. Uh, and so I, I feel like there are two different definitions of fear almost here, right? So there's the fear as in coming to reverence, and then there's the fear that's being talked about in Augustine's quote is like a terror of um, like ability or the character uh, acting against them as opposed to it's a fear because they're not in control. And so to gain control, they give an image to it, they have dominion over that image, and that's why um, we don't have that with our God, because he doesn't want us lured into this false sense of security that we could control him through an image. I also think of when, when, you, when you start to create a God based on an image that you know, you also kind of have to... Uh, project your thoughts your desires and your morals onto that god and so the more you align the more you the more you align this god with you you kind of like out of necessity have to become the creator of that god all the way through um and the more this god looks like you the less you feel the need for uh something above you because you guys are exactly the same so what's the point Exactly. Yeah. Did you guys have anything? Uh, we're kind of running short on time. Um, did you guys have anything you wanted to touch on seven? There's only one thing. Uh, it's actually Matthias's note I wanted to touch on, but you guys, anything real quick? If I it's the nothing. note that I'm thinking of, then that's all I want to talk on too. So go ahead. It's the very last one. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Well, I mean, you go ahead. You were the one who highlighted it. Okay. I said, is Calvin against the use of a cross? Because he says... Um, of what use then were the erection in churches of so many crosses of wood and stone and silver and gold, if this doctrine were faithfully and honestly preached. And a little later he says, from this one doctrine, the people would learn more than from a thousand crosses of wood and stone. As for crosses of gold and silver, it may be true that the avaricious give their eyes and minds to them more eagerly than to any heavenly instructor. So my question is, is he against crosses and are we against crosses now? Right, and I just made a note under Nat uh, replying, saying uh, he's probably just taking shots at the idea of holding the holding to the symbols, but not their meaning. But I don't know. I'd I'd be interested to think or hear what you have to say, Aaron. Actually, Travis, I'd like to hear you uh, expand on you what you meant by that, because I no, think that you might be onto something. But I want to hear I want to hear your thought process. No, stop bringing it back to me, man. I can only never, read never. what I wrote before. Well, I mean, no, I mean. <sighs> Especially when he talks about the uh, avaricious, which I actually knew what that word meant. Thank you very much. It means uh, the greedy. Um, but uh, when it talks about the gold and the silver, I mean, they're putting in that's putting uh, a sense of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, a sense of uh, help me out here a title or uh, uh, a like representation. A, like a weightiness of to it? What? Like a weightiness? 
Yeah, or like like a wealth or like a uh, what's the word I'm looking for when you have a. My gosh, see, this is why you don't ask me. Um, <laughs> someone of notoriety, like they're thinking, you know, that's a mark of notoriety having gold or silver. Right. And if you see someone who has like a gold or silver cross, I mean, then they're like, oh, they must be of great value. And I think they're treasuring that over the what it actually means because he doesn't ignore the doctrine of what's behind it. He very clearly talks about it right before that. But when he talks about, you know, what good are crosses without the meaning of it um then i mean yeah that's that's what i that's what i got from it at least no i think that's a fair point what do you think aaron yeah i think uh it's a fine line you know i think that we are very visually stimulated people and we are a very symbolic society. All I think, I mean, all human society, I think, uses symbols, right? I mean, that's in part why we can read is because we have decided that certain marks mean certain things, and when we put them together, they express an idea. And so, obviously, the symbol of the cross is expresses the central idea of Christianity that our Savior was crucified for our sins and rose again. Uh, that we may be saved. And so I don't have an issue with that symbol being placed uh, in places, but I certainly see where if left unchecked or unexplained, it could easily and passively become an idol. And I know from personal experience there have been times that I catch myself just kind of staring and singing kind of blankly at the cross that hangs on my church's wall. And, uh, and I'm not actively engaging and actually thinking about um, Christ and what he did. I'm just looking at the image. Um, now, that said, I wouldn't say I'm worshiping the image, and I'm not worshiping the image of the cross. In fact, one of the things that I appreciate about Protestant Christianity is that we do just have the cross, and we don't have the uh, crucifix with Christ still hanging on it. Uh, and I think that's important because I think that it's much easier with the crucifix to worship and glorify Christ's death, which although a necessary part of our salvation is not the central part of our salvation, the central part of the salvation is his resurrection um, and conquering of death on our behalf. Now, all of that said, I think it's really hard for us to symbolically depict an empty tomb. That would be my preference for the Christian symbol, but I'm just not sure how you would draw that. Just a black sheet of paper. Yeah. And you're just looking into it. <laughs> no, I think that's good. I think that, I think that's I think that's a good point. I think we get like flavor flay style like clocks, but instead it's the stone. <laughs> Just wow. big, just big round stones hanging from our necklaces. <laughs> I, don't know, man. I think they call those diamonds. <laughs> Tie the bo box to your head, and just, there you go. Yeah. That's funny, man. But yeah, I think I think those are both really good, really good uh, answers. But all right, Aaron, bring us home. All right. Well, thank you all for tuning in for this very special edition of Tiptoe Through the Tulips, as we have discussed in-depth the image of god as it is depicted should and should not be depicted and uh and many many other concepts regarding being the image of god uh until you join us again next time keep 
persevering.